Welcome to the Tribe Agile Podcast. I'm Chantal Janor, Tribe's Community Manager. In this episode, I speak with D. Ray Freeman, Managing Director of Tribe, as he tells the story of his transition from Agile coach to consultant to senior executive. Ray is an author, entrepreneur, consultant, and expert in applying Agile in many different contexts. He has led more than a dozen digital transformations globally and is a passionate philanthropist on a mission to strengthen the economic, educational, and social services available to urban communities around the globe. As project lead with Adaptivate and managing director of Tribe, Ray is at the forefront of helping some of the world's largest corporations think and behave differently. His efforts are equipping people with the confidence and tools to embrace change, perform at their highest levels, and make a real difference in their work environment. Here's our conversation we do hope you'll enjoy. Hey, Chantel. <laughs> hey, Ray. So a lot of the persons that we have been interviewing recently to become prospective tribe members, we are hearing a lot of person articulate the fact that they're trying to figure out how they move from being an agile coach to a management consultant. So I know your history, you know, is similar. You have worked as an agile coach, you've transitioned to consultant, senior consultant to project lead, and now you're a senior executive working in agile. So I thought it may be a very interesting conversation if you and I spoke so that you could tell others about what your transition from agile coach to consultant has been like. So let's just get started. How did you, you know, start that progression in your career, right? You know, um, I, I got to that point where most people are feeling today, like uh, like there was a ceiling above my head, a glass ceiling that I couldn't go over. Um, I, I was applying to different roles at big five firms and or big consulting firms. Wouldn't get any attention from it. And I apply for senior level positions. Same thing, nothing. And I just kept thinking, what am I doing wrong? What am I missing that's keeping me out of this marketplace or keeping me right below this this ceiling? And, you know, finally, I actually it was through an interview. I was being interviewed by someone and they just gave me some feedback about how well I did and how not so well I did on certain things in the interview. Um, and that feedback was so helpful. Oh, it changed my life is that, you know, they, they told me some things that I was just flat out missing um, and some things that I was promoting about myself that was actually hurting my chances of, of getting there. So um, I started looking at what are those things? And, and if, I, if I really went to just categorize it, it was two main categories of things. One was capabilities and another is the, the mindset change. Hmm, that's interesting. Tell us a little bit more about those changes, Ray. So in capabilities, I had to develop some new tool sets like I didn't necessarily have the tools or I wasn't promoting the tools that would get me into those types of roles. Um, I was promoting tools like SAFE and my my certifications and, and um, Agile um, versus other tools that were way more important. And we can get into some of those as we, we talk more. 
Um, but on the other side was that that mindset change and the new work ethic that I had to develop. And <clears throat> that came not just from you know, the people who uh, um, interviewed me and gave me feedback, but that came from feedback from leaders that I had in places where I, I worked. Leaders giving me feedback on my own work ethic and helping me change my own mindset to become that type of person that would even be attractive to somebody who is looking to fill that kind of position. You mentioned that you got feedback from leaders. Is it that you asked for feedback or is it that you were just in an environment where getting feedback just happened naturally? Because if it is that someone is not in an environment where feedback is so readily given, I want you to talk a little bit about how you would suggest that persons get that information that they need to be a better self themselves so that they can position themselves better. You know, how do they transition and have those conversations as well? Oh, that is really good. You know, for me, I, I didn't ask at first. I was someone that somebody helped. You know, somebody saw that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's he's not going to make it. And and they gave me that, that feedback the first time. And when I saw how helpful it was, then I started asking for it. I started using that in, in any interview that I went into. I'd ask, hey, how did I do? Can you give me some feedback on, on how I answered that question? Or, or what should I do differently next time I'm faced with such a thing? I'd ask, even if I don't get this job, even if I don't get this contract, can you give me some feedback on how that interview went? By asking that and getting people's honest opinion, it changed everything for me. I started valuing that feedback even more than just waiting and hoping that I got the job or not knowing. That excitement is cool. It's fun to have that excitement of, you know, ooh, I hope I did well on the interview. Or, ooh, I hope I get the job. But just flat out ask before you get off the call, how did I do? Give me some feedback. Like, even if I don't get this, give me something that's going to help me be better next time. I'd encourage people to always ask for it. And if you're not in an environment that is structured around feedback, then find one or, or make one yourself. Just become that type of person that you seek feedback because that is what makes us better. I'm always looking for that when I'm interviewing candidates too. Like, do they ask for feedback or are they happy to leave it all to chance? Uh, I love that. I love that. Anything, there is a certain level of humility that yes. being the one asking for feedback, you have to be prepared for the good, the bad, the ugly. You just don't know what to expect sometimes. And so you just have to really be open to whatever that person may have to say about how you've spoken or how you work so that you can be a better you. I like that. True. Before you mentioned, you know, the capabilities that you identified you needed to build, what were some of those capabilities you focused on? You know, one of the things I, I did was I started learning about personality and human behavior. You know, so much of this is about psychology. When you're getting into leadership roles, it's it's more about how do human beings interact with one another. And, and that's even a fundamental part of, of Agile. I mean, you think about the very first uh, value of Agile is individuals and interactions. And that's, you know, people and the interactions between people. So I wanted to explore that even further and understand on a, a psychological level, how do we communicate? How is my personality perceived by others? How 
do I perceive other personalities? What biases do I have that I'm unaware of? So I had to learn some new um, techniques to help me challenge myself. Is there anything restricting my thinking? Something from the past, something from tradition, you know, whatever. Is there anything that's restricting my thinking or that is causing people to maybe not trust me? Or as a leader, people have to trust you. Why would someone follow you if they don't think you're going somewhere? So I had to make sure that I'm going somewhere and that I was worthy of being followed. <laughs> so that, that's a big test of are you ready to be a leader is look behind you and see if there's anybody back there. If there's nobody back there, you're probably not the leader because ain't nobody following you. <laughs> Looking at some more uh, tools and capabilities, just the understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Just off the back of what we just talked about, about personality and behavior, checking your own biases about people and perceptions of people, stereotypes of people. When you're going into a leadership role, you have to put all of that away. It can't be anything that is coming up from your personal past is causing you to think differently about people. You find yourself being in a position of human resources. You're interviewing people, you're hiring people, you're leading people to the next place in their career. So to do that, you have to be able to meet people where they are. And that means whatever capabilities that they have, whatever experiences that they have had before. So learning to interact and communicate with different people from all around the world has helped me a lot. To, to do that, it wasn't really more a structured learning. It was just getting out there meeting people. It was watching YouTube videos and becoming a subscriber to different people's channels and just learning what they do. A combination of that and learning a bit about different cultures, different languages, different heroes and heroines that are in different parts of the world just gives you a different perspective on people and just the richness of culture of people. Yeah, I can appreciate you mentioned something that stood out to me and you said it wasn't structured learning because we're living in a day and age where everybody thinks that the solution <laughs> to get into the next level is getting paper, getting certified, you know, getting another degree. We have so much faith on just the formal education systems that are in place that we sometimes ignore the value that the unstructured way of learning offers to us. So how do you position yourself with those with your background of getting your unstructured learning, how do you present yourself in interviews and around leaders so that they can understand that I know what I'm talking about. I don't have paper, but I know what I'm talking about. And I can speak with confidence that, hey, trust me, I've got this. Mm. Give us some advice around that one. Very, very good question. Um, it's the doers that make a difference for me. The doers make a difference. The talkers don't mean anything. Talkers are gonna talk. <laughs> but the proof is always in the in the pudding. For me, what's made my career move upward over and over is the fact that I've done good for people that I've worked for in the past. And, and that's created a, a trail of positive interactions. I mean, has everything been perfect, been great? No. Uh, there some people will say, I don't know where you're going to hear me. Fine, probably. <laughs> but I've done good work for people. I've worked with organizations that have moved the needle because of the interaction that I've had there and the work that I did there. 
So that gave me um, people who will speak of my work ethic, people who will speak of my solutions that I've delivered. And it's a, yeah, he's the truth. He, <laughs> he helped us to get to where we're trying to get to. And that has always been way more valuable than anything else on paper or whatnot. You know, I, I can remember very, very early on in my career, I was working for um, HP, Hewlett Packard, and I was actually working on an assembly line, like doing, um, putting together PC parts. And I was working overnight shift. So it's like four o'clock in the morning. One of the managers came in uh, into the main building and he couldn't get onto the network for some reason. And I knew about this kind of thing because I've been working with tech and computers at home, but I was working on an assembly job. So I heard them speaking and I was like, I think I might be able to help. And I went and helped. And it was like 1995 at the time. So <laughs> I knew how to work Windows 95 and I got that fixed and helped them get back online. And when something happened again, instead of reaching out to IT, he knew that I'd be there in the assembly part. So he reached out to me again for help. And while I was there and helping, I had a conversation with him and got to know more about me. A little bit later, he had a role as a, a project manager for a group that he was working with. And he asked me to, if I wanted to, to come in and work with them. But he just remembered the work ethic, my knowledge and ability to help. And he reached out to me and, and gave me a shot. But it was because of my willingness to, to do something that got me that opportunity. So I always tell people, if you want opportunities, do stuff, do things for people, help people, show people that you are valuable. And that's so much more than saying, I have a piece of paper or I have a list of certifications. You know, I'm sure there were several candidates who wanted that position. They were probably 10 times more qualified than me, but I was doing stuff. So I got it. I love that. <laughs> I love that story. So tell us a little bit um, about what other changes you had to make internally to get to the place that you are today. Mm. The mindset shift, the work ethic. You know, there were people who challenged me to be better, either because they believed in me or because they needed stuff done too. But they challenged me to be a leader over a manager. And I had to learn what that meant. Like, what does it mean to be a, a leader? versus a manager. A manager oversees things and reports progress. You, you manage the process. A leader leads people. It's, it's more about human beings. I learned quickly that a lot of people reached their leadership position because of tenure. Uh, maybe they've been doing the job for so long that they've been promoted to manager or promoted to leader, but they didn't have any leadership qualities or leadership tendencies. So they struggle. And I would find myself working with people in that position. They would have all of these more psychological challenges to deal with. They weren't technical, had nothing to do with the technical work. And they needed support. They needed help getting through that. Sometimes they needed someone to listen. Sometimes they needed someone to give advice or someone to just give them another way of thinking about how to solve a problem. So, you know, I, I quickly discovered that there's there's a career in here of serving leaders or helping to elevate leaders because a lot of people have been given the position of leader, the title, but not the actual capabilities to be a leader. So I had to develop it for myself first, and it took things like building a work ethic, meaning that 
if I'm the leader, I'm responsible. I have to be, if I need to be there early, if I need to stay late, so be it. That's part of being a leader. If I need to be in every piece of the process, a manager may be able to stand out and just oversee the process. That looks good. But as a leader, I'm in the process. I'm working with the people who are doing the work. I'm making sure that their questions are answered, that they have what they need, that they're delivering value over and over. And I'm also keeping track of who is our customer or client that we're serving. That takes a lot of work. That That's not something you can just start at eight and end at five and everything is over. The leader, it's going to take more effort and more time. And I have to condition myself. If I'm going to be a leader, this is me. This is the way I work now. And that's my new mindset. That's, that is the leadership mindset. This is the way I do it. I really like that, Ray. I really like the fact that you have articulated the difference so vividly between a leader and a manager. And based on how you've described it, I'm sure that many of us can relate to what you've said to say that some of the most successful things that we've worked on probably was successful because we worked with leaders and not necessarily managers, mm. persons who were working with us to help us to get to that finish line in whatever capacity they may have contributed, even if it was just to be cheering us along. <laughs> you know, they were there along for the journey. So I can really appreciate those sentiments. Thank you. I'm curious to understand. So along your journey, were mentors involved? What role did even being a part of a community play in your being able to elevate yourself in the way you have? Hmm. You know, some of those mentors were, were former managers of mine who held me accountable to the teams that I was working with. And, you know, some of those were just peers who have become friends of mine. People I've worked with years and years ago were still friends today and we still um, stay in contact. But when, when people believe that you are better, are a better person, then you kind of have to live up to it. That's a reputation you don't want to lose. And I've always tried to maintain that reputation. So the, the mentors that I have, they challenge me to uphold that reputation. If they need coaching and guidance, then I make myself available to them to give that coaching and guidance to that's holding me accountable to helping other people succeed. If there are, like I'm part of different groups and, and organizations of people who are trying to succeed. I'm always looking to connect with doers and people who are at a point in their life or career that they're looking to go to that next level. Some of it I've done before, just in the, I've had a history of uh, entrepreneurship and progressing in agile so I can offer some benefit to people in that position. But to do that, it requires me to stay up on the latest technology, stay up on the latest things in crypto, metaverse, web 3.0. So I, I need to have sales techniques, social media management, brand creation, brand awareness. The accountability is that people look to me for information. They look to me for guidance. I don't want that to get stale. I always want to be someone that people can say, God, I had a chat with Ray today and it was beneficial. I've got so much out of it. So in order to make that happen, I have to keep filling up the tank with stuff. I have to keep reading. I have to keep watching videos. I have to keep meeting people to always have something of value to offer. That's kind of my advice I would give to people is deliver value on day one and it'll never stop from there. If, if you're delivering value from the moment you walk in the door, 
or the moment someone answers the, the phone and you're on the other end, start delivering value and you, you'll never regret it. Yeah, and it's all okay if the value you deliver on that first go is small. Sometimes we wait until we have something pronounced, something big that we're like, okay, here's the value that I bring to the table that we ignore the small opportunities to just even offer listening air. Sometimes it's as small as that, just to give them a listening air or to open their minds to a different perspective. It doesn't have to be something that is so mind-blowing <laughs> that they'll forever remember it. Sometimes it's just being there and just being a listening air. I like that. I definitely try to do that. I think that's so important as well. Yeah. Before we wrap up our conversation, I have to ask this question. Sure. <laughs> when you first meet an Agile coach and you're having an interview with them, what are things that you listen out for to say that this person has the potential to become an Agile consultant? Because we want persons to elevate their thinking and to also elevate the way they position themselves when they're having conversations with prospective employers or you know they're trying to capitalize on a new opportunity. It's a great, great question. You know, when I'm interviewing potential agile coaches or people who are, are looking to become consultants or already consultants, I'm evaluating several things that I'm, I'm listening for. I'm listening for the level that they're talking at. A lot of things are given away in conversation. So if you start your conversation around, the, around Scrum and you're talking about delivering agile at a team level, you know, working with product owners, working with scrum masters, working with teams. That tells me that you understand the frameworks of Agile and that, you know, maybe you understand the terminology and, and some of the things around it. But if your conversation stays there, if you're not able to talk about some of the um, more organizational benefits of Agile, then I, I can kind of see where your level may be. You know, others that have worked at the enterprise level, their conversation may be about the value and benefit of a more streamlined organization or how to use agile ways of working to shrink time to market, increase value to market. You know, those types of things are more top level. And again, I'm not looking for people who can just use the language but people who can tell stories about how they have impacted people and organizations at these levels. So I'm looking for, as I mentioned before, the doers. Like who's done the work? I don't want to hear about your list of certifications. I, I really don't care. <laughs> it's great. But and that's not an indication that a person is capable. So I'm also looking for, does this person understand why Agile? A lot of us coaches have been hired just because the company said, yeah, Agile seems like a good idea. Let's do it. And we may go and go through the motions of, of implementing it, but not know why. So I'm really keen on people who understand why are we doing this? Why we bring in these things? What is the organization going to benefit from having this? Those are two big key things that I want to know, that you know why you're doing it and that you have stories that indicate that you've actually worked with people. Whether they're successful or not, I'm not looking for all success stories. Even if you have a disaster story, why was it a disaster? How did you recognize it was a disaster? What did you do in the midst of disaster? Those things are really telling about a person more than any bullet points that you can put onto a resume. Yeah, that's very interesting because 
more often than not, you would think that my disaster story is one that I want to keep hidden, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, and I think too, if you're able to take your disaster story and you're able to say, this is what I would have done differently, sometimes bringing that new perspective as well and adding that new dimension of learning to the conversation is completely important to making your disaster story one of the most valuable ones you could tell. <laughs> So true. That is so true. We don't want to hide those things. I've been through several disasters. It's how you navigate through it. How do you help your client get through it? How do you survive it as a consultant, as a coach? There's a lot that needs to be considered. Hearing people's stories tells you a lot about them as a person. How did you psychologically deal with the challenges that were going on? And Chantel, some of these things are big. Like some of the clients that we work with may be big global clients trying to solve major problems that impact hundreds of thousands of people in the world. Sometimes we hear about the things that we're working on in the news or in the, in the media. So I'm really looking for people who have a passion for making change, not just looking for a job, but who understands that we're out here making a real difference. It's behind the scenes, but we make a real difference in how the world handles finance, travel, energy, manufacturing, retail. We impact major organizations and it's something we take really seriously and, and want people to put the same due diligence into our work that we do for clients into the way that they are going to serve the clients that we put them on our cases. Love that perspective, Ray. Love to know that through what we do, there's an opportunity to greatly impact the people of the world. How satisfying is that? <laughs> oh, so much. So much. that's what gets me up in the morning. Yeah, so to close out the conversation now, I must ask, what advice do you have for persons who are looking to stretch themselves to say, I want to take my career to the next level? I'm afraid, but I definitely don't know how. What are small or big things that they could try to really expand their thinking and expand their opportunities to really grow themselves? Great question. One of the biggest impacts that a person can make for themselves is to build up their own work ethic. And there's some practical ways of doing that. One is establishing a work schedule. Most of us are working remotely, so there's nobody here. There's nobody in this room saying, Ray, get this work done. Ray, have you checked and seen, have you finished this part of the work? Like nobody's doing that. So I have to be accountable to myself. I have to make notes every day. I have to keep a, a self-management technique of how do I get myself back on track? If I get stuck, if I get mentally stuck during the day, how do I get back on track? So I think everybody needs those things because you're going to get distracted. There's going to be things that happen at home. People are going to disrupt your day-to-day -day activities. So how do you get them back on track when things are disrupted? How do you blend in your work-life balance? If you need to do some personal things during the time that you're working, how do you integrate those in and still be productive and effective? You know, my self-management techniques that I advise to people is use your devices around you as much as possible to help you not hurt you. So notifications on phone are helpful sometimes, hurtful sometimes. Know when to use them, know when to turn them off. Having a notepad, always helpful. Write down everything. There's a psychological positive impact that you get when you cross something off the list. 
it, it makes a little bit of dopamine in your brain that you just like, oh, I've created something, I've completed something. So I, I give myself those little victories throughout the day, even by making simple notes. I may make a note that says to write out my schedule for today. And I can cross that out when I've completed my schedule. So each day have those little victories that you can self-manage and know that you're on track and making progress and have full control of your day is my best advice to people, especially in this post-COVID environment that we're in. Have ideal self-management of your day-to-day -day activities. Nice. And then for an agile coach who's feeling stuck, I feel like I'm one expert on the team that everyone relies on. And I'm getting a little bit tired of being the one expert on the team that everyone relies on. I want to see what else is out there. I want to do more. I want mm -hmm. to become more. What would your advice be to that agile coach? A lot of uh, coaches have we've become lone wolves who teach and evangelize collaboration. But you can't be a lone wolf who is evangelizing collaboration. You actually have to become part of the collaboration. My advice to someone who's stuck in that area is to teach. The next level up is empowerment. You know, once you've done so much of learning to apply something and then you're applying it, after that is empower. How do you empower someone else to do what you do and even better? So what I always encourage people to do is after you learn something, teach something, host a lunch and learn, host a workshop and invite people that you work with or that are in your circle or team to come to a, a learning event that you host because you're sharing something that you've learned with them and encourage them to do the same thing. So every time I teach someone something, I ask them to do the same thing for someone else. So I'm creating empowerment over and over and over. That's my advice to them. It stands out when a person is a lone wolf, even if they're great at being able to push collaboration for other people, but showing where you've actually created a community or you're part of a community and that you're sharing information, you're posting regularly, you're writing blogs, you're writing articles, doing podcasts, doing interviews. So you're now spreading your knowledge out and you're building a community around you, a brand around you. Now people recognize you as a thought leader because you're putting knowledge out into the world. You start to realize that maybe I don't know everything. Maybe there are other people who know as much as I do and can contribute. So I advise people to take that knowledge and spread it out, join communities, share information in those communities. If you're doing so well in your internal community, then join an external one and post a seminar through that community. At Tribe, we do that with people I mean, all the time. Like We're glad to meet with a person who wants to host an event via our channels, and we have thousands of followers. So we would happily share that out to that group, help people to create that brand awareness and be able to share their knowledge with others in a much, much broader way than you're able to do when you're with one team. So uh, I'd say align with us selfishly. I want that alignment with us, but if not us, join some community and expand your, your knowledge to others and invite others to share it, comment on it and become part of your brand. Wow, I really like that. I really like the put yourself out there. <laughs> yes, ma'am. 
part of the conversation because at the end of the day, becoming a thought leader is how you gain respect from persons who may not necessarily have had the opportunity to work with you. So I feel like there can be a part two to this conversation where you share some more about the management consultant side and just how an agile coach operates differently from a management consultant so that persons can really see clearly how they need to change their thinking and how they need to change the way they speak and how they change the questions they ask and how they operate differently when they're sitting at a table with executives. So I feel like we can schedule to have another conversation like this, right? But I really appreciate all the insights that you've shared so openly about your experience and how other coaches can benefit from what you've learned from doing it yourself. Awesome. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I appreciate speaking with you and not talking about these things. Definitely looking forward to that part two. There's a lot of practical application that a person can do to learn some very specific skill sets. And we can definitely dive more into those, including different mindset changes as you move up in organizations and move up in leading people. So happy to talk about that anytime you're ready. <laughs> thank you so much, Ray. Have a good one. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for joining us. I hope this conversation inspired you. If it did, hit the subscribe button. Share this with your network and the people who think like you do. Together, we'll build the tribe of the future. Once per month, we will be featuring tribe members who have interesting stories to tell. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and to claim your free membership on tribeagile.com for member-only exclusives. I'm Chantal Drenor. See you next time.